This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Perhaps some of you uh, were able to tune in on Wednesday to the uh, panel discussion in honor of uh, Gary Snyder on the occasion of uh, publication of his collected poems by the Library of America. put together a uh, very interesting group of people talking about Snyder and his work over the years, including people like Robert Haas and Jane Hirschfield and Peter Coyote and Brenda Hillman. And at the end, there was a chance to hear Gary himself now age 92, uh, reminisce a little and uh, read some poetry. And I thought I would uh, talk about him a little bit today and uh, also read some of his poems because in a very real sense, um, he was a uh, it's a big factor in my uh, ending up sitting here uh, talking to you like this. He was a transformational figure for my generation, both in the way he wrote and the way he lived. I believe it was Robert Haas on the panel who talked about how radically different Snyder's early work sounded to, from anything that was uh, being published at that time. On one hand, you had the legacy of the moderns, and Pound and Elliot, which was highly abstract and difficult. And on the other, you had in reaction to that, a kind of hyper-personal, uh, confessional poetry. Uh, on the one hand, someone like uh, Sylvia Plath or Robert Lowell, but even think of Allen Ginsberg and Howell and Kaddish. Uh, the reaction to the formalism of a previous generation often swung in the opposite direction of this kind of intense personal uh, narrative in the poetry. 
And Snyder was uh, doing something very different. You could say he was a nature poet, but he wasn't just writing about nature in isolation. He was writing about man and nature, living with, within nature as part of nature, and reflecting on all the good and bad ways that people had done that cross cultures and cross time from Native Americans to the increasingly industrialized logging operations that he witnessed and worked in uh, the Pacific Northwest and to the idea of China and Japan is offering civilizations of people who had a different relationship to nature, who imagined themselves in harmony with it rather than seeing it as a resource to be exploited. But I think in a way, what struck me is most remarkable is that in Snyder, you don't have a sense that the world is broken. If you read Pound or Eliot or Ginsburg even, there's the sense of the world has gone mad. It shattered itself. And what the poet is trying to do is pick up the pieces, put a few things back together as best they can, try to find a few isolated examples throughout history of someone who for at least a little while got it right that maybe we could begin to emulate. But the picture that emerged in so much of uh, 20th century poetry up to the mid-century where Snyder began was shaped by two world wars, the Depression, and then for a whole generation what seemed to be a kind of deadening or stifling uh, conformity of the 50s. And it was either something to be lamented or something to protest against. But Snyder offered a vision of an intact world. That nature was often damaged or exploited, but it was something so much bigger than us so much vaster stretching through not just human time, but geologic time. That it could contain and restore anything we could throw at it. 
and that it was a place where the individual could get in touch with that kind of intrinsic vitality and persistence, naturalness that we've been alienated from. For a lot of people, the 60s and 70s felt like a time of um, great experiment and innovation and the expansion of personal freedom in some ways that were often pretty wild and drug-fueled. But in many ways, it was a freedom people didn't quite know what to do with. And even when people wanted to get out of the rat race of modern urban life, they discovered that uh, buying some empty track of land in the woods and driving up there with a copy of the whole Earth catalog wasn't necessarily enough to be able to know how to start over and start a new kind of life. Snyder actually had the know-how and the grounding and having grown up in a farm and in a Pacific Northwest community where Knowing how to work and work the land, know how to use tools was part of what he grew up with. And his education plugged him into the discipline, eventually that of Zen monasteries in Japan, to know how to put all that to use. It was a very different kind of freedom. When people talked about freedom in those days, they usually thought of, now we're going to be free of all sorts of constraints. I can do whatever I want. Alan Watts, I think, characterized that as beat Zen, right? The chance to be free and funny and illogical and uh, cut off from ordinary uh, constraints of uh, morality and convention. But Snyder actually embodied a different kind of freedom. Uh, what I've called after Isaiah Berlin, positive freedom, rather than the negative freedom of just being free of constraints. But the positive freedom of developing all sorts of new capacities and opportunities that only emerge through structure and discipline and embedding yourself in a whole new world and culture. Not of your own individual creation, but something that you really need to plug into to be able to be changed by and to learn from. And that became, uh, certainly for me, the difference between uh, 
sitting around smoking a joint and reading Jack Kerouac. Not that I stopped doing that, but also going to the Zendo and putting in lots and lots of hours and eventually lots and lots of years doing this practice. And that we're gathered to doing this today in many ways is the fruit of what Snyder showed was possible. How to bring it home, bring it back into our lives, apply the discipline it takes to actually make something happen rather than to just daydream about it. Thought I'd read some poems uh, from Myths and Texts, his second book, which is the only one I have here up in the country. I have just about everything he's published, but it's all down in the city. And the Library of America volume hasn't arrived in the mail yet. So I'll read from this book, which um, is actually an interesting collage of stories about the life of logging in the Pacific Northwest mixed with tales to, uh, from Indian myths and blended with tales from uh, the Buddhism that he was uh, beginning to practice. And they're all put next to each other in juxtaposition in the sense of a method he learned from Pound. The texts being what we read or create on our own now, the myths being something bigger and stranger that we uh, are embedded in. So I'll read a few um, sections from this uh, to give you a flavor of the, the range of them. The ancient forests of China logged and the hills slipped into the Yellow Sea. Squared beams, log dogs on a tamped earth sill. San Francisco two by fours were the woods around Seattle. Someone killed and someone built a house, a forest wrecked or raised. All America hung on a hook and burned by men in their own praise. Snow on fresh stumps and brush piles. The generator starts and rumbles in the frosty dawn. I wake from bitter dreams, rise and build a fire, pull on and lace the stiff cold boots, eat huge flapjacks by a gloomy Swede and splintery cookhouse light. Grab my tin piss pot hat, ride off to the show in a crummy truck and start the cat. Pines grasp the clouds with iron claws like dragons rising from sleep. 250,000 board feet a day, 
if both cats keep working and nobody gets hurt. Ed McCullough, a logger for 35 years, reduced by the advent of chainsaws to chopping off knots at the landing. I don't have to take this kind of shit another, tw another 20 years and I'll tell him to shove it. He was 65 then. 1934, they lived in shanties at Hooverville, Sullivan's Gulch. When the Portland-bound train came through, trainmen tossed off coal. Thousands of boys shot and beat up for wanting a good bed, good pay, decent food in the woods. No one knew what it meant, soldiers of discontent. How rare to be born a human being. Wash them off with cedar bark and milkweed. Send the damn doctors home. Baby, baby, noble baby, noble-hearted baby. One hand up, one hand down. I alone am the honored one. Birth of the Buddha. The whole world system trembled. That baby really said that. I'd cut him up and throw him to the dogs, said Chow Chu, the Zen master. But chipmunks, gray squirrels, golden-mantled ground squirrels brought him each a nut, truth being the sweetest of flavors. Girls would have in their arms a wild gazelle or wild wolf cubs and give them their white milk, those who had newborn infants home breasts still full, wearing a spotted fawn skin, sleeping under trees, bacchanantes, drunk on wine or truth, what you will. Meaning, compassion, agents, man and beasts. Beasts got the Buddha nature, all but coyote. Amitabha's vow, if after attaining Buddhahood, anyone in my land gets tossed in jail on a vagrancy wrap, may I not attain highest perfect enlightenment. Wild geese in the orchard, frost on the new grass. If after attaining Buddhahood, anyone in my land loses a finger coupling boxcars, May I not attain highest perfect enlightenment. Mare's eye flutters, jerked by the lead rope. Stone bright shoes flick back, ankles trembling down steep rock. If after attaining Buddhahood, anyone in my land can't get a ride hitchhiking in all directions, may I not attain highest perfect enlightenment. Wet rocks buzzing. Rain and thunder, southwest. Hair, beard, tingle, wind, whips, bare legs. We should go back. We don't.
the text. Sourdough Mountain, call the fire in. Up Thunder Creek, high on a ridge. Hiked 18 hours. Finally found a snag and 100 feet around on fire. All afternoon and into night, digging the fire line. Falling the burning snag, it fans sparks, sparks down like shooting stars over the dry woods. Starting spot fires, flaring in wind up Saget Valley. From the sound, toward morning it rained. We slept in mud and ashes. Woke at dawn, the fire was out. The sky was clear. We saw the last glimmer of the morning star. The myth. Fire up Thunder Creek and the mountain. Troy is burning. The mountain, the cloud mutters. The mountains are your mind. Woods bristle there. Dogs barking and children shrieking rise from below. Rain falls for centuries, soaking the loose rocks in space. Sweet rain, the fire's out. The black snag glistens in the rain, and the last wisp of smoke floats up into the absolute cold, into the spiral whirls of fire, the storms of the Milky Way. Buddha incense in an empty world. Black pit, cold, and light year, flame tongue of the dragon licks the sun. The sun is but a morning star. That last line you may recognize, I believe, is also the last line of uh, Thoreau's Walden. I'll end it there. Thank you all. Thank you, Gary. <laughs>